0: Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy.
1: For the president to win in 2024, he's got to talk about the future. He's got to talk about how to fix a broken border, how to repair
0: the damage done through the Biden economic agenda, and how to make the world a safer place. I do believe if he talked about what he's capable of doing, and remind people what he did in the past. He has a chance to come back if he continues to talk about the 2020 election. I think it hurts his cause, and quite frankly, hurts the Republican Party.
2: Well, hackaroos, that is dreadnought class weather vane, Senator Lindsey Graham <laughs> giving this. You hear this a lot. The old like you know, we did the devil's deal with the devil, please get back in the devil business and quit talking about the last crusade. Uh, so <laughs> Lindsay is kind of the voice of the, uh, Trump prison in the GOP. And I think
1: Trump will completely ignore it. David Axelrod. Yes. Uh, I think that's a pretty good bet. That is, uh, he already has uh, denounced, uh, Lindsay as a rhino for saying such things so i i don't think it will necessarily land well with him but you know who will know even better than me is the tell great us. amy walter yeah from the cook report with amy walter it's no longer just the cook report but it's the cook report with amy walter who's ah, running, running the cook report i like it yeah
0: i try to yeah i try to sneak that in there i'm glad that you you noticed that thank you david i'm like <laughs>
2: all Uh, right well we have a ton to untangle a lot to untangle
0: there
2: there's a lot going on in orange world right now so why don't we start there and then we'll get to the world crisis in the ukraine and president biden and all kind of stuff um boy where where to begin um there was a fascinating jmart article and i think the post had a good piece too that the kind of subterranean mcconnell slash establishment campaign uh, which a lot of us in the anti-Trump you know, world have been working on for a while, but it's kind of breaking out in the public that even people who kind of went along are like, this guy's a disaster politically and we got to do something about him. So it was fascinating to see that the McConnell political operation with an eye on the critical Senate races and beyond is really out there getting behind overtly anti-Trump, candidates particularly incumbents the rga republican governor association is up on the air defending governor brian kemp uh who's no stranger to the conservative wing of the republican party but he has a challenger
1: trump invention yeah
2: no exactly but now he's got david Perdue, who's put on a even redder red hat trying to take him out in the primary of trump's help what do you think guys he's a
1: trump contrivance (laughs) I actually think Kemp's going to uh, win that
2: primary. We're seeing it's the great bellwether. That's big. But, uh, well,
1: I mean, look I, look, I think that McConnell is contending with Trump because he doesn't think that Trump candidate, I mean, McConnell wants to win. yep, And he doesn't think Trump candidates can win. But I will say Larry Hogan was a big target in Maryland uh, of uh, of uh, of, uh, of McConnell. He's not running. He may want to run for president, but I think he also knows that being an ardent anti-Trump or that Trump would go after him. Uh, Doug Ducey in Arizona would be the strongest candidate for the Republicans in the Senate race there against Mark Kelly. He's not going to run, uh, because he knows that Trump will punish him for certifying the election, uh, for the sin of accepting the verdict of the people of Arizona. Uh, so, uh, There is this contest, but it seems to me that the shadow of Trump still hangs heavily over the Republican Party.
0: Yeah. It feels like we've been here before, though, guys. Remember, uh, Murphy, after the 2010 Senate races where, you know, the Tea Party was in full bloom, and many of those candidates who made it through a primary turned out to be a little bit... uh, Let's say Nuts. Okay. All right. I'll let I'll let uh eccentric. say yeah. that. Yeah.
2: I am not a witch. I am who not is a that, witch, cetera, who is that woman? So let me
1: interrupt you for a second because you'll remember this. Who is that woman who Harry Reid was running against? Sharon Engel. Sharon Engel, yeah. And on the Sunday before the election, Harry said I can't believe I'm going to lose to this idiot. <laughs> and, and of course, he I mean, didn't. she wanted
0: to get rid of social, you know, like privatize Social Security, all all the stuff.
1: It was crazier than that. It was. It crazy was, and she had that, a and, very,
0: very bad campaign. All of that after that election, McConnell World said, "We're not letting that happen again. Right? We're not. We have 2014. We have a great map. We're not going to lose our Senate, our chance at Senate majority because we nominate more of these kinds of folks." Uh, oh well, actually. You guys, it took the 2012 election to remind them too. 2012 was yes. the Richard Murdoch and the Todd right. Akin. It's
2: a lesson that we yes, <laughs> we've been taught many times. The learning curve's been flat. Yeah.
0: When you have a great year, everything's going right. This is like a football analogy here. Republicans have the ball on the goal line right now for control of the Senate. Don't fumble it or and don't try to. Do some crazy play. Just give the ball to someone who can run one yard. That's it. That's all you need. And McConnell knows this. And there's not much he can do in many of these primaries where the candidates know the, that the, the balance of power lies with Donald Trump. When he decides to get in in a state like Pennsylvania, in a state like Ohio, he will shift the balance of of that
2: race overnight well it's funny because it's a classic asymmetric deal McConnell is the big muscle man and in the inside game in the Senate cloakroom in the in the funders and Trump's got the grassroots not all of them and that that hold is melting but he has a plurality at least so his endorsement in a primary is kind of his favorite battlefield well McConnell has the power to kind of assist candidates maybe recruit people and, you know, so it, it, it's hard. It's kind of like a, a shark trying to fight an eagle. You know, they're just, they don't operate in the same space, and the eagle knows not to get into the water. That said, I do believe there's a trend to decline. I think the Kemp race will be interesting. Um, you know, Pennsylvania Senate might be interesting. This is one where the establishment likes the highly capable, uh, got him blank on his first name, McCormick, uh, David, yeah, David, David McCormick, an impressive yeah. guy who you can tell is uneasily wearing the red hat and has hired Hope Hicks and a whole bunch of these horrible Trump people, uh, to try to fake it. But we know how Trump thinks he'll say, Oh, they think they can manipulate me. I'm for Dr. Oz. Um, and so that, that one is going to be a great, big kabuki opera so so we'll see but I, I would just stipulate that the fact that mcconnell i mean they're talking to J. martin because they want to talk to J. Mart about this they're going out in the open which is a change in republican world where most of this was held in dark cellars they may lose but they're making a move
1: maybe uh, mcconnell decided if he's going to call me the old crow i might as well crow a little and come out uh and <laughs> the uh, but, comic but, stylings uh, in the uh, <laughs> pennsylvania primary you know if you were the mccormick people um he's you know he's a wealthy businessman wouldn't you um uh, and maybe they are come out early and uh, and really try and move numbers early with advertising and uh put hope hicks and others in a position to go to trump and say hey this guy's gonna win don't back a loser, this is the ticket, you get in, you'll yeah. get credit, pull a yunkin'.
0: They're trying to, but yeah. Oz also has a gajillion dollars. That's the problem. Is
2: And yeah. Oz can always out-crazy anybody. You know, it's always tricky to pick a crazy off contest yes. strategically.
1: We'll see if he's a wizard or not.
0: In the cases of Maryland, in, you know, you talked about the Larry Hogan race, trying to recruit him in. That would have been, you know, again, like a... Um, a nice sort of feather on top or maybe a cherry on top of a Sunday, Let's use that. Um, they don't need to win Maryland to take control of the Senate. They just need to knock off one of these freshman Democrats in very purplish, purplish red states like Arizona or Georgia um, in order to win the Senate. But the fact, David, that the parties now have become pretty much inept In their ability to get their best candidates on the field, and whether that's because in New Hampshire with Chris Nunu, he knows Mm -hmm. that he doesn't want to go down to Washington and be part of that that kind of
1: constituency. Right? (laughs) Um, There's no. You're always so polite.
0: It is. it's it is Nobody wants to Shit be Shit show is what
1: she's talking about. Nobody
2: yeah, wants to go so. every week and have to have lunch with Ted yes. Cruz in the caucus. I mean, believe me, Sanuna could have won that race.
0: Exactly. That's a bigger one.
2: Hogan, by the way, I think made the smart move because yeah. he wants to run for president, which will be uphill enough for him. But if he goes and has a losing off-year race or has to kook out to survive a primary, he ruins his rationale to try to be the return-to-normal guy in the presidential race. So I totally get is thank you. Sorry, Amy, go ahead.
0: No, but but you know, you all are old enough to remember there was a time when the party leaders their job was simple. Win winnable races. Find the candidate who fits the district, who fits the state, recruit them, help them, and go for
1: Yeah. It. Yeah.
0: Ver- Vermont would be a perfect example in a not so long ago past, a popular rec- Republican governor would Even one who's pro-choice, even one who doesn't fit, obviously, with the Trump type of Republican, who's out of kind of the traditional orthodoxy of the Republican Party, would be recruited as the kind of candidate who, hey, he works in Vermont. Of course we want him on our team. We want anybody who can win. Now it's who can win, who fits within the certain variable. And I blame a lot of this on the, the, the good intentions of folks who said, let's get rid of soft money, let's get rid of, you know, all the, all the big donors giving money to the parties. And instead, it's now been outsourced to ideological groups and others who use it to really fashion the Senate into their own sort of playground.
2: You know, the damn reformers, I'll tell you, they are the worst. I agree. Bring back bosses. <laughs>
1: Murphy says, they, uh, who wants to have lunch with Ted Cruz? I think it's more like, who wants to be lunch for Ted Cruz? I mean, if you go down there and you're a sensible person, it's, 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 a, it's a miserable existence mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but having said all that, uh, there is no doubt that, uh, as I, I said earlier, and uh, it, it, Trump still uh, carries a lot of weight in that party. And, and, and Mike, you flagged this, uh, but, uh, we saw an example of it with Nancy Mace, who is, uh, you know, relatively moderate in this, in the pantheon of the house. Yeah.
2: I, I, Nancy, you know, you gotta give credit. The first woman to graduate from the Citadel. And so, I mean, she's a person of some accomplishment and she, she's been a conservative, but you're right. She got kind of brave
1: about Trump for a week. I'm moderate on the Trump issue is what yeah, I totally saying. Oh, totally
2: agree with that. Yeah. And now look where we are. I think we have an audio clip. Right?
1: She's a uh, yes. Yeah, she's a congresswoman from uh, South Carolina, first term. Took that seat back for the for the Republicans, and now is under fire for for not being Trumpy enough.
0: Hey, everyone, Congresswoman Nancy Mace here. I, I'm in front of Trump Tower today, and um, I remember in 2015 when President Trump announced his run. I was one of his earliest supporters. I actually worked for the campaign in 2016. I worked in seven different states across the country to help get him elected. I supported him again in 2020 because of policies I believed in. He brought American jobs back. He lowered our taxes, wages and employment were better for every hardworking American in our country. He made America safer and he took on China directly. And America was stronger all around the world. And, And quite frankly, freedom and democracy was stronger all around the
2: world. You know, it's funny. So she filmed that basically with an iPhone standing in front of Trump Tower in New York City, setting herself, excuse me, up for the perfect viral thing, which would be to digitally add a bunch of rotten thru- fruit being thrown down from the, tr- <laughs> you know, with a Trump voiceover. Lose it, Rhino. But there we go. There, there. I mean, to survive, in a, in a particularly in a sunbelt Republican primary with a Trump primary opponent with Trump behind you, they contort themselves into these deals, which are worse. This won't help her. This just makes her look, you know, weaselly from her earlier fight.
1: Well, it also to finish the whole oration there by talking about how freedom and democracy was doing better under Trump when he is actively trying to undermine our own, uh, is a little, is a little rich too. But yeah, the idea that she felt she had to go and sort of ask for penance in front of Trump Tower gives you a sense of the power that he still has in these primaries, and uh, you know maybe that maybe that spell will be broken if there are people who break who break through uh, this yeah, year. Yeah, have the
2: guts to try it. You know, right now they're doing this kind of back off thing. I just add one point too to what Lindsey said earlier. What's really making the the Trump enablers unhappy is they think they could live with good Trump talking about the border, talking about China, calling Biden weak, inflation, all the usual stuff, uh, and be effective demagogue Trump. Instead, they're getting Trump trying to use the primary electorate as a therapy animal to go refight his wounds from being defeated last time, which just pulls them into a vortex where you don't even get good Trump. You just get pure, crazy, nut on a bus Trump. And, you know, that's what's killing these Trump enablers, because they're getting an even worse and less effective version than Trump, who insists on injecting himself into the primary to whine about the last election and very little else.
0: But what I heard from Nancy Mace, too, though, is what I'm hearing from a lot of Republicans in focus groups, what I'm hearing sort of anecdotally from folks, which is this sense that, look, we liked Trump, his policies, the crazy, the tweeting. Now this obsession with twenty twenty, I could do without that, right? Yeah, and you're starting to se- you're starting to see it in polling, and it's starting to show up. As I said, both anecdotally and in in qualitative data of Republican primary voters who will not they're not abandoning him, they're not anti Trump, but they like the idea of having a candidate who has many of the same qualities as Trump, but isn't as Trumpy, right? Ron DeSantis can give us all of the Trump. Without the 2020 silliness and without the conspiracy theories and January 6.
1: Yeah, I think the the issue is for the 2022 candidates is one of focus, and you know, in a sense, Democrats and Republicans have the same uh, challenge, which is how do you seem connected to the. Um, to the problems that are right in front of people right now, right. all right. the concerns that they have and all of this 2020 stuff is a distraction. And what it says to voters is they're not really concentrating on the stuff that's important to me, uh, you know, they're, and that's where Trump is dragging. But, them. but it's systemic. Uh, and that is uh, damaging in
2: primaries, voters tend to care about things other than what general election voters care about. Right. You know, they're, they're tribal internal parties where you, a lot of people care about Trump's crazy claims and they agree with them. On the Democratic side, a lot of people say, why hasn't Biden seized the means of production? You know, I mean, hmm. so it's it's tricky because you, you, the primary electorate has become more hostile to the realities of the general electorate than even usual now. And of course, you got Trump flaming the you know, fanning the flames. Excuse me, because he's so, so involved emotionally in this in this you know last uh, relitigation of the defeat.
0: Well, but Mike, don't. How hard do you think it will be? for those candidates to pivot to the general election. It seems like some of them are doing a better job than others in you embrace Trump to a certain degree, but you don't go full, you know, you don't go full in on all the conspiracies and, and I'm sure we'll get to this given the climate right now and how bad things are for Biden. Is it really going to matter that much if candidate X in state Y, even a swing state, you know, has some Trump, you know, uh, love letters to Trump, is it really going to matter to voters come November?
2: Yeah, I think that's a very astute point because they are trying to do a little trump light because they don't want to really wear a Trump Velcro suit in the general, but they know if the general, if they don't, Succeed in totally changing the topic of the general to their unsuitability and are just kind of generic Republicans who wink a few times at Trump. I mean, I think they're feeling the numbers you talked about earlier. We had Tony Fabrizio on the show a few months ago. He had done a piece of research, I'm sure you saw it, where there was kind of a plurality of Trump is great, but time to move beyond. There's a Mm -hmm. CNN poll out showing half the Republican electorate says move beyond Trump. Doesn't mean they hate him, but you know, time for something better. And by the way, same number on the Democratic side, which we're talking about. So I think if you're a a McCormick in Pennsylvania, you do the bare minimum Trump dog whistling to survive a primary. And then you hope the Biden tide, you know, takes candidates who normally in a more competitive election would be in trouble and sweeps you in. And that, you know, I remember 86, um, or other elections where, um uh, uh, ninety four you know were a lot of people who traditionally were weakish candidates or nineteen eighty in the Senate uh, those two on the Republican side, where people got swept in, even like what the the guy's a former arrested realtor it doesn't matter he was the r and right. yeah, I think that's the bet they're making, and in the environment we 're in unless Biden fixes himself it's not at all a dumb bet
0: well it's no it's noticeable that that say David McCormick, his most recent ad is is literally um a let's go brandon chat chant right uh with you know pictures of biden of the plane leaving afghanistan with folks trying to grab on to it with inflation all of those things so you make it all about uh, you know the chant that says <laughs> i'm with you it's a it's a trump rally chat chant, but I am not, you know,
1: full on in. You touch the base and move on.
2: All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. All right, Hacker you already know where to go for breaking news and trusted smart analysis this podcast. Absolutely. Well, maybe not, but you do want (laughs) a trusted source for your day-to-day hiring needs. That outfit is Indeed.
1: If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire people all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else, guess what, you don't pay.
2: You know, it's fast too. With instant match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match that job description you posted. And you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applicants that meet your most important requirements.
1: Absolutely. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And boy, in this hiring environment, it is so, so crucial.
2: Yeah, and I'll tell you, you don't have time now not to get results. Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest, a study done in 2019. So start hiring right now, and you get a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash hacks. That offer is valid through March 31st.
1: Yep, go to indeed.com slash hacks to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash hacks. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My strong feeling... And again, I've said this before, I, based on not, not an untested idea, is that for Democrats, the trick is to uh, take the comments of McCarthy and some of the other crazy people, he not being crazy, he just being opportunistic, who've talked about you know purging Democrats from committees and retaliating and vengeance, and some of them talk impeachment and all of that stuff, and ask people if that's the kind of chaos and... Vengeance that that they're you know it's not to attach people to Trump so much as to project Trump style chaos in the House if uh, or the Senate for that matter if they um, if they elect these people it may not work but I think that's the way to bring Trump in but Trump, I'll tell, yeah. tell you one thing about Trump he will be really pleased that we've spent the first twenty minutes talking about him that's the most important thing for him you know to still be the center of attention, but there's other but stuff. I, I can to... tell, I can tell a,
2: I feel a transition coming on. So we're doing a 30 second pit stop on the way out for the Trumpologist who I'm sure a bunch of our listeners. It is no small thing that his accounting firm has revoked their professional certification of his financial documents for the last 10 years because that screws up loans and debt and creates discovery. And anyway, so it's below the voter horizon, but he's had a huge legal setback uh, with that.
1: What was that scene in Casablanca? I'm, I'm shocked that there was gambling going on here. Yeah, shock, shock. Uh, a, yes, exactly. Yeah, Captain Renault, my hero. So anyway, I think the Trump
2: plot's getting a little thicker, and he does have Mitch. Uh, if I were him, I'd, I'd start getting a food tester because Mitch is a formidable opponent. I mean, metaphorically, of course, in the uh, inside game. But yeah, let's go on to Biden, Ukraine. Some blowhard had an op-ed in the New York Times. We ought to talk about. <laughs> yeah. uh, we we got a lot of. No, Biden no, job but Ukraine.
1: Here. Let's talk about Ukraine because obviously that's a fast-moving uh, story, and it's a, one of real consequence i don't know if it's of consequence to voters uh but uh you know the politics of it to me it seems uh are if putin you know today he's he's sending some signals that he's pulling back if he is if he did pull back uh you know i think that's a that's a win for biden because it looks like he's stared Mm -hmm. him down and backed him off if he doesn't if he moves forward uh, I think you know there are problems, even though I think Biden has done many of the right things here, pulled NATO together, made clear what the consequences would be if uh Putin moved forward and so on uh but he's, it still will be one more chaotic thing going on in the world. one more thing that for people to say you know he just doesn't have control uh of things, and there are real life consequences we put big uh, we put big sanctions on Russia. Oil prices go up. Gas prices go up further. That's a problem that's close to home. But I mean, I guess my opening question is: Does anybody care? In re- you know, in the in the world of voters and politics in the U.S., what is the actual meaning of Ukraine?
0: I mean, I will just say in the short term. If there is an invasion, we know there's going to be an immediate consumer impact, and I don't know for how long. But between the markets being more volatile than they already are, and then gas prices or other, you know, energy prices going up, something that's happening thousands of miles away is actually going to impact consumers who are already uh, anxious, concerned, feeling the pinch of, of the economy and inflation. So that. Where you say, well, how how will it impact voters? It it is like an immediate. Here's how it hurts my pocketbook. I think David, they seem to have learned the White House a lot of lessons from Afghanistan, which is they're being very upfront, not just with the public, but with our allies about here's what we're going to do. We're being very clear and we're being very transparent and what we are doing, how we are, what we're telling Americans in Ukraine um, about exiting. We don't want to have another situation like we had in Kabul. Um, so, you know, taking this to the place of we are, uh, we're organized, we're on top of it, we're getting everybody on the same page. This is not going to look anything like um, Afghanistan. Um, to me, the bigger question, and I'd love to hear both of you weigh in, is if, if Putin goes in, especially if it's a, a significant in, invasion, what do Republicans do? Is this a rally around the flag moment where we say this Putin is a bad dude? This, we have a yeah. which, which, I
1: think which flag is the question.
0: I mean, uh, we get immediate sanctions, President's desk signs them, or what happens? I mean, that to me is the the bigger question mark right now.
2: Well, bet on Tucker to hum the Russian national anthem. Well. <laughs> that, and the, it'll be a split between the national security <laughs> and the others. But let, on the Ukraine thing, I think... I'm schizophrenic on this. Because, well, I think Biden is. He's doing both a great job and a terrible job simultaneously. The great job, I give him kudos for how he's handling it. He is ramping up slowly but surely the penalties uh, for invasion, making it clear. He's got NATO unified. Trump had shattered the NATO alliance. It's back together uh, with the exception of the Germans who now love peace, ironically. it's, um, it, it, it's The NATO thing has been artfully done. Uh, He has been cleverly preempting any Russian attempt to use the old Hitler trick and grab five convicts, put them in Ukrainian uniforms and find them 20 miles inside Russia and declare, oh, they're attacking. We better counterattack. So they've done great on all that. Where he's been terrible is communications because, I mean, the inside communications is fine. But this is a moment for him to be president of the United States. I've been harping for a month. He ought to do the national address and explain Mm -hmm. to Americans Americans what's going on and what the stakes are. Because right now, in the messaging side of it, in the politics side of it, it's basically if Russia invades, Biden loses, which is not really what they ought to frame the outcome is. It ought to be we are prepared for either outcome. If Putin invades, he's in a quagmire. It's terrible for Russia. It's terrible for anybody, and he's a war criminal killing innocent people. If he doesn't invade, our coalition leadership helped deter him, and now we have a diplomatic path forward. So he wins either way. But right now, you know, the the media's narrow bandwidth. So if And when you're in a situation where if Putin invades, you lose, you make the mistake. It's kind of like the Obama red line thing. You give your opponents the ability to decide if you're a success or failure. So it it they got to frame this and why they're afraid to put him out as president and explain what's going on to the country because they have a good plan baffles me.
1: Well, I think that that they I mean I think they're saying many of the things you're saying they're just not they have not lifted it to that level yet and one element of what Amy said uh makes me wonder about because I agree I think that the real political import there are there are a kind of you know biden's issue is strength and weakness and if he comes off here looking weak that's that's another problem for biden but the tangible most tangible problem is going to be the consumer impact and so another reason to do what you're saying mike is to say we are prepared to pay the price you know that there may be some short-term sacrifices right. we have it. to make and here's why it's important yep do a yep, right. churchillian thing you know right so yeah i i i think uh I think that that makes sense, but I'll tell you something. Um, it is interesting. I mean, who knows with Putin? Nobody knows what Putin is thinking. We did a panel at the at my Institute of Politics yesterday at the University of Chicago with uh, Mike McFall and and Evo Dalder, who was the ambassador to NATO, and Susan Glasser. And the consensus among the group uh, was that you know Putin is very. Putin. War has been good to Putin. You know, he went in and snatched Crimea. He went into Georgia. He went, you know, uh, uh, the Chechnya and uh, even his forays into Syria. They've all been profitable for him. So he's comfortable with with this. And and, you know, they were skeptical as to whether he'll actually pull back here. But this is a big one. You know, those yeah. were
2: sizable meatballs. Now he's got, and I can guarantee you, if they're allowed to, after you know decades of experience being on the other side of IEDs and fairly sophisticated insurgency, a lot of people in our national security world uh, can hardly wait to sit by and watch from across the border while Ukrainians learn how to turn old artillery shells into mines and Russian kids start coming home dead um people who studied russian probably came up in your panel was it was surprising i'm an old russian nerd what a big even under the communist rule what a big impact the afghan casualties had mm-hmm. in internal russian politics and unhappiness so yeah. it's a lot harder knocking off something the size of the ukraine uh to have a quick victory there he might just grab a part of it and declare victory i think he's looking for a way out but he can't be weak he's a strong there are,
1: there are all kinds of alternatives for him here but uh i think by i think wh- where biden has really done well and where the uh ally nato allies have done well is to um pump up the uh, the sense of consequences uh for putin and you know yeah. he has to calc- he has to uh has to calculate that but and, and explain uh, it
2: to the country you know cuz he's he's doing well in the pages of foreign affairs magazine but for a guy with a weakness narrative this is an opportunity to to muscle up a
1: little bit with a thoughtful speech so you mentioned the piece i did in the times i just want to i'll just make a, a short point of it cuz amy wrote something really smart this week or last week and i want to talk about it i think that you know biden's calling cards his strengths are empathy connection to people and you know I watched that press conference of his on January 19th uh, on the uh, on the eve of the anniversary of his inauguration and he was so uh kind of eager to ta- to just you know persuade people of his accomplishments uh that he had the balance wrong it was a lot about him a lot about what he's done it was a lot about how things are better than they were a year ago and like that's not where people's heads are. Things objectively are better than they were a year ago, but the country's in a funk. The state of the <laughs> union is stressed, and for him to get a hearing, he needs to uh, he needs to um, identify uh, with that. Not go Jimmy Carter, you know, uh, <laughs> m- a Malaise type speech. Oh, I bet he owns a cardigan. But to to, <laughs> to really tell the story of what we've been through together, uh, as a way of as a prelude to talking about, you know, where we are now and where we're going. And uh, uh, I think he needs to do that to have a successful speech. But one of the things that has everyone stressed out, and this gets to Amy's point, uh, Amy's piece, I I think is totally underrated uh, as a political driver right now. Youngkin understood it. Uh, Just how stressed out and angry parents are school about what's happening you can you can speak to it too murphy you've got a young child no no look i i've been harping on
2: i totally agreed with amy's article which i thought was very very insightful parenthetically i'll just say about biden quickly to get out of that and get into amy's piece i agree with you i thought it was an excellent op-ed the problem is and and i think we all know this how many times have you been working in your political hack career for an incumbent politician running for beginning to think about reelection and you go to them. All right, we got to kick off the television and they say, Oh, don't worry. I've already written the first spot and they pull out the crumpled legal piece of paper and they read it to you and it's four minutes long and it's basically here's all the shit i did for you voters you owe me re-election you (laughs) bastards yeah Yeah. i worked out you know i haven't had a sunday off in 14 weeks (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it's therapy for them and then you say interesting and you say we'll get back to you for 30 you know and you try to (laughs) make it about the voters not about the rage the average incumbent has about not getting any credit for what they've done that's what biden did biden did that meeting in the press conference where he unloaded you know here's all i did for you to get it out of his system but i totally agree on state of the union and if they're smart yeah. they'll do that
1: well he's also i mean amy knows this uh you know they're getting pummeled by people saying if you just tell everyone what we've done right they will feel better and you we gotta will, communicate that, it better yeah it's not and they, you know by the way they're not wrong build back
2: better nobody knows what that is nobody ever has it's a chain of chiropractor shops.
0: well and they compare him to 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 trump that's what you hear too david which is Trump just he just made stuff up. He told people things were better and they yeah, believed right. him. But <laughs> he was doing it at a time when the economy was already in good shape. We weren't in the middle of a right. pandemic. We weren't right. in the middle of exactly. you know trying to come back from a major social, economic, psychological upheaval um that the pandemic has thrown us into. So just telling people to feel better. Look, I do think where Trump succeeded, especially in 2020, even in the midst of the pandemic, was that he was going to be better at bringing the economy back. Right? You'd hear that from voters. Yeah, things aren't yeah. great right now. It wasn't not totally Trump's fault that uh, pandemic happened. I don't think he's handling it well. But who do I trust to bring the economy back? Yeah, I trust Trump. Right, because right, you can't
2: be that. a political winner during a pandemic. Every incumbent's learned. It's like after Pearl Harbor. Well, I got on the phone and doubled the number of ambulances. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. just, there's not enough good
1: news and you don't get credit. Okay, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. You know, friends,
2: let us talk about one of our favorite sponsors here, ExpressVPN. And let me just tell you, Going without ExpressVPN is like using your smartphone without a protective case. Most of the time you'll probably be fine, but all it takes is one accidental drop of that expensive phone right under the solid concrete to make you wish you had protected yourself. So. Dr. Axelrod, explain the technology for us.
1: No, absolutely. Everyone should have a VPN because every time you connect to an unencrypted network in cafes or hotels or airports, and we all do that, your online data is not secured. Any hacker on the same network can gain access to and steal your personal data, passwords, financial details, all of it. And it doesn't take much technical knowledge to hack someone. I don't know if you know that. Just some cheap hardware is needed, and a smart 12-year-old could do it. So if you're into that, run out and find yourself a smart no, hey, 12-year-old. hey, go on
2: Google and look up Wi-Fi Sniffer and other stuff like that. You will be amazed what is out there to be able in those open Wi-Fi environments when you're traveling or other places to link in and see what you're doing, check out your credit card numbers, do all kinds of stuff. A VPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel. It stands for, by the way, virtual private network. It's that data tunnel between your device and the internet so hackers can't get in there and suck your data right out of the air.
1: It'll take a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption and most of us won't live a billion years so that's good. Fire up the app and click one button and you're protected. Phones, laptops, tablets and more so you can stay secure on the go. All right, so get one up on hackers. Putin is interested in
2: what you're doing. Thwart him, like our fine <laughs> president is trying to do. Secure your online data today by visiting Victor dot com slash hacks on tap. That's e x p r e s s v p n dot com slash hacks on tap. And what happens then? What's the special offer, Dave?
1: Incredible! You can get an extra three months free expressvpn.com slash hacksontap.
2: Amy, to your point, some smart economists a few months ago made the note that what really killed the economy during the pandemic and the labor force was when schools went down, people had to care for their kids and therefore left the labor force, even if there were COVID protections at work and we had the economic slowdown, yada, yada, yada. So I couldn't agree more. And the funny thing, I was talking to a parent at the school my kid goes to, who's a a physician at an elite hospital, and he was kind of talking about how he'd emailed the the school administration and everything. He said, you know, we we finally have the science in that schools are not where this thing transmits because kids are very different than Adult. so we're gonna we were right at the time to preemptively be protective, but now that we look back, whoops, uh, and people are furious about this, uh, yeah. and that's part of the COVID ejector button uh, thing, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think historians are going to look back at this period, and they're going to talk about an, a a sort of once in a century tr- trauma. I mean, this is like this is comparable to you mentioned Pearl Harbor. I think the the changes that it has forced in people's lives uh, have been profound. And, you know, it's reflected in all kinds of ways, not the least of which is just mental health. Uh, You know, people are people are down and uh, uh, and with good reason. And, you know, things are better. They are going to get better, but the, and this school issue is just yeah. Um, I mean,
0: I think it's it's this it's the sense and and Mike knows uh, Liesl Hickey very well. She's
1: yeah, a friend, sure, really Liesl's one of the good.
0: smartest, sharpest former right to people, riser uh,
2: with Jeb back in the presidential.
0: There we go. Former
1: like Amy Walter, former IOP fellow. Yes,
0: IOP fellow. Just so she's not a bystander in this. She too is a parent. So like all of us who are parents, we do have some quote unquote skin in the game. We've been, you know, depending on what part of the country you live in, but you know, she's hearing from a lot of these parents doing qualitative and quantitative data over these last this last year. And what's been bubbling through is just like if everything else is getting back to normal, why can't our kids go back to normal? How come they've been forced to shoulder all of our issues, right? And yes, it is true that when it comes to kids, especially the youngest of our kids who can't be vaccinated, plenty of parents are still very worried. They're worried both about giving them a vaccine, right? So vaccination rates for the youngest kids who are able to get vaccines, are pretty low. And there's can still concern among a lot of parents that going to school, we what are we going to find out in the end? Right? Like again, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, did our kids suffer um emotionally? Yes, but could they have suffered more? Maybe there was other uh medical things we didn't know about our youngest kids. All that to say where we sit right now, in terms of where parents sit right now, is a feeling. Of deep frustration that are that the people who are supposed to be looking out for the most vulnerable of our constituency <laughs> kids who don't have a voice um, really chose to use them as as basically not as pawns as much as they just didn't take it uh, uh, th- they were expendable
2: politically. Yeah, yeah, but it's so hard for politicians because. You've got these people who are mad that you don't do something. When you do something, they don't trust you because they're part of a culture of morons that rely on Dr. Google or go to Dr. Jenny McCarthy to hear that vaccines are bad. Right. So, you know, it's very hard to steer a herd that wants leadership but refuses to accept leadership. I always thought yeah. a great opportunity for Kamala Harris, and I think we talked about it a few months ago, was to go try to make the equation of vax equal open schools and no masks. Uh, the, the, you know, to try to frame an argument that way. But instead, they've just kind of been a pin cushion. Well, people do what they do in our society, which is they're mad about things. So I'm yeah. kind of sympathetic to the, the the political world, but I think you're spot on on the problem, Amy.
0: There just seems to be this debate about, should they have masks, not masks? And, you know, well, the data tells us that parents still want masks. So this isn't about, no, what it's about is this, again, we talked about it earlier, this malaise, this back to normal, this we need to... Give our kids some sense of of you know uh, of place and stability. And if you're a parent, what you know is nothing. There's still nothing is stable, and it doesn't matter about it, just a mask.
1: Yeah, well that that that's the point. Everything feels a little out of control. It's and out this of is control. A- My
0: kid still has to wear it, right? Like they still have to eat outside
1: you're getting conflicting you know now you've seen a bunch of democratic governors breaking away and saying no we're going to phase these masks out in school and the president and the cdc saying it's too early to do that yeah you know and you know so he's kind of whipsawed between the politics of this and this pledge he made to follow the science and the scientists are telling him you know hold up and parents are you know, I mean, I just was watching the local news here in Chicago last night, and I've every night it seems that there are protests going on at various school boards over this mask issue. So it is a, well, um, and
2: you've got militant teacher unions that think the number one priority of schools is teacher quality of
1: life, or you know, addressing their fears. I think one of the when you look back at the last years, uh, the last year, one of the mistakes that I think that. Uh, Biden made was uh was not taking a stronger stance on reopening schools yep. last fall and and yep. yeah there's the linkage between the uh heavy lobbying of the teachers unions and that is something that has dogged him that's something that made him look Uh, more responsive to and again we're finding the science now that it's not a transmission problem in schools but
2: let's go to cheap low politics here because it's what we do CNN's got a poll showing that among and we referenced it in the little Trump segment 50-50 on whether Republicans want Trump to be the nominee again, something that would have been unthinkable in conventional wisdom two years ago. But Biden has similar split numbers. A massive amount of Democrats saying, nope, get somebody new next time. Now, it's early. If Biden has a comeback, that number will melt, but it's it's lower than other presidents have had at that period. They all have some of it. What do we think? And here's my Big question for Dr. Axelrod, for the Axelrod insight, and then Amy to straighten us out with the truth. You think Biden, if he runs for re-election, I know it's a hypothetical, will have a significant primary. My guess is he will, pending a bad midterm outcome.
1: Yeah, I see Amy nodding yes. I actually, if he, is, if he runs, and I, you know, look, he says he's going to run. I think he plans to run uh there's a lot of time between now and then, and a lot of it just has to do with the fact that he's almost 80 years old and the presidency is a grind. I mean, just look at what he has on his plate. It's a grinding. I've seen I've seen men much younger than him age very rapidly in that job. And so that's the, you know, that's the, you, you hear a lot of Democrats saying, gee, he's got to run because they don't know what the alternative is. Uh, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I honestly think if he's in shape to run, uh, that, uh, he will not have a primary, but, uh, because I think there'll be a kind of coalescence around him, uh, out of fear, uh, that, uh, you know, he's the one that, that, that maybe he's the guy who can beat Trump and so on. Now, if there are polls that show he can't win. Yeah. Yeah, but i suspect if there are, if 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 it is clear that he can't win uh which it is not right you know you wouldn't say that now but if it's clear that he can't uh, against trump if it's clear that he can't win um i doubt he'll run i don't <clears> think <throat> biden wants to finish his career by losing uh so i mean i think the high likelihood is that he's not going to run and that there'll be a primary and the real question is uh, will there be a primary uh, if Kamala Harris runs? And I think the answer oh, yeah. is yes. I
0: think yes. I'm with that scenario, David, which is he doesn't run, and that there's a competitive primary on the Democratic side. I mean, I think it's a more, much higher likelihood that come 2024 there is neither a Trump nor a Biden on the ticket, um, and the who the who the alternatives are. Well, I. I don't think any of us could predict that today. We're always bad at that.
2: They're all yeah. going to run if it's a wide open deal.
0: I- exactly. I just think, to me, the other problem with that poll for Biden is what it says about 2022, right? Yeah. yeah. We talk a lot about the enthusiasm gap. And, you know, I-, I was just starting to look into this for this week, but, you know, noticing the number of ads in dem- in Republican primaries that feature attacks on biden personally now you know years ago a couple of years ago it was uh attacks on nancy pelosi she was the boogie person when you put her picture up there that sends the signal directly to the receptor in the brain of every (laughs) republican primary owner right it's pavlovian to go out and support that republican candidate now they're going directly at biden they didn't do that in 2020, either because he was seen as like, eh, he's not a bad guy. He's not like Bernie. He's not Pelosi. He's not the squad. Now they're going right after him in part because there's no fear, I think of a backlash from, from Democrats. Remember in, in 2018, a lot of Republicans or a lot of Democrats were worried that if you feature Trump, all you're going to do is, is, is help energize and engage the Trump base. So don't talk about Trump. Your voters already hate him. They already know they're coming out to vote against him. Don't make him the the sort of centerpiece of the election because uh, it could right. motivate. Now, I don't think, I, I think the Democratic problem is, I don't know how they motivate a base that doesn't think that highly of Biden and is feeling all the same things we talked about with inflation, schools. Right. Maise right. well, that, that's
2: why Biden has to go pick a good old-fashioned campaign messaging war and have something you know that you get with him you don't get with the others. He has no record yeah. to run on. he may want to emotionally. The record in the in the uh, the Republicans will frame his inflation, Kabul surrender, and you know uh, zigzaggy madness on COVID closed schools anything you're mad about. So Biden's got to create a bigger meat and potatoes fight people care about and the clock is ticking they
1: just don't seem to want to do it. In fairness, he does have a record to run on. He has done some significant things, but the environment is not is not hospitable to to run on those things and even if you're even if you've done good things, it's the rare incumbent who can uh win a midterm election. It's just it that doesn't usually happen. You have right. to have right. unusual circumstances. 98 you know, Clinton comes through the impeachment. He's popular. The economy is good. People resent the impeachment. He picks up seats. Two thousand and two, nine eleven happens. Bushes has has a big approval rating. Uh, Republicans pick up. See, so even under the best of circumstances, it's hard. These are not the best of circumstances. And in a certain ways, he, is, he and the Democratic Party are at the mercy of things that are beyond their control. Well, you know, will inflation come down? Will, they, will people feel the virus is behind them?
2: Right. But I agree. But you can't just be a passive observer. I agree. You know, that, that was the problem. Mitt Romney's strategy when running against you guys. He's like, well, they want to fire Obama. We're hanging around. And well, wait. that's what
1: intrigues yeah. me, Mike, about the idea that we've got big things that we need to deal with and these guys want to play trump politics and spend their time doing stupid things and right you, you just got to be careful of getting too process. okay let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor and we'll be right back
2: you know ax you are famous justifiably so in american politics for having an incredibly talented political gut How do you maintain that gut, that
1: million-dollar gut you have? Well, let's be clear. I grew that gut uh, over many years of politics. I'm trying to deal with that now. And one of the ways that I will is uh, by taking athletic greens. You know about athletic greens?
2: Well, I hear it's all about better gut health, and it's easy to take, and it really helps. It
1: tastes great. You're absolutely right. It optimizes your immune system. Uh, And if you hate taking pills and vitamins, this is something that you take that actually tastes great. It's a powder. It's not a pill. And with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, and aging, all of these things. And, Mike, we're benefiting from this because our producer, Alison Siegel, is a Athletic Greens aficionado now. How's it taste, Alison? It's delicious. It's delicious,
2: folks. And it's not a big, chunky horse pill vitamin you got to choke down. It mixes into things. It's easy to use. Your gut will thank you. Your body will thank you. Your new level of energy will thank you. So check it out because right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially as we start looking at flu season. One scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. That's all you need. So check it out for our special offer for our suppliers. Athletic Greens will give you a one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, D for David,
1: and five free travel packs with your first purchase. How do folks get this, David? All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash hacks. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash hacks to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance you
2: I don't know where our golden broadcaster awards are yet. You know, for some reason, lost in the mail. If you have a question. Yeah,
1: they probably were mailed in 1946.
2: (laughs) All right. If you have a question, you can send them to the mailbag. Send it to hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com. And let me paint a picture of the perfect day to think of a question to send us that we will hopefully be able to read. One, you wake up. You go to work, you look around at your coworkers, and you grin because you have a Hacks on Tap coffee mug. Special collector's edition. You can get it on our merch store. And at night, you can have a beer stein, the Hacks on Tap fantastic American-made beer glass. It's really pretty cool. You can get all this stuff at hacksontap.com. Upper right-hand corner, go to merch. We have T-shirts, too. Check them out. We got a lot of emails saying, get into merch, we're into merch, so let's do as we say back home in Detroit, we got to move some units. Second, if you're ready for more email, go to hexontap.bulletin.com. Hexontap.bulletin.com. Get our free twice a week newsletter. comes by email. Gibbs and I write it. We have a lot of fun. We constantly attack David, and we put a lot of stuff in there you don't hear on the show, fun links, et cetera.
1: Amy, do you want to hawk the uh, Cook Report with Amy Walter, hand fans? We don't have as much
0: merch. We did have backpacks for a little while. In fact, we might still have a couple still available. Very (laughs) rare.
1: Very rare editions. Well, I thought so in the Smithsonian, I think. I think there
0: is. Yes. Uh, The original from 1984. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, David. The Cook Political Report is a value.
2: Must read. I've subscribed since the 20s.
0: Yes, thank you. Mustery. we have, I think, the smartest people in politics on top of every single race in the country. No one else is following it the way that our folks do and to do it in a way that is not about picking sides, but picking the folks we think are most likely to be successful.
2: Yeah, and I can't say enough, it is a great gift. The professional handicappers and consultants all read it, but if you've got a friend or relative and you're looking for a great birthday, graduation, Christmas gift, because they're a political junkie, and they kind of want to read the digest of what's really going on because they want to argue about Ohio 3rd, give it to them, give it to them, and then buy them a mug, and they can sit, drink beer, and be the – it's the political junkie man. It's like the farmer's almanac of of campaign race (laughs) analysis. And if you're a junkie, it is a lot of fun. You don't have to be a political – professional to subscribe. So
1: there we go. If you're a junkie, you've probably written us a question, and you're probably saying, when are they going to stop hawking stuff and (laughs) And answer them? Good good transition
2: there, David. I
1: like it. Okay, so our
2: first question is for Brother Axelrod. It is from Brian, and Brian wants to know, how would you run presidential campaigns differently if we elected presidents by national popular vote? And I'll add only no electoral college. Wouldn't it behoove candidates to campaign in states say, no, they will lose like a Democrat in Alabama or a Republican in California, because in a popular vote election, the margins, even if you lose a state would matter in a way they don't matter now because of the winner take all nature of the electoral college. And Brian, I apologize I punched up your question a little for clarity.
1: David, what do you say? Well, the answer is yes, obviously we would campaign uh differently. The way it lays out now, basically, you know, 10 states or so are actually having a national election and the other 40 are observing. Uh and all your resources Uh, You know, you prioritize states as to which ones are going to be pivotal with data and so on. And then you uh, apportion your candidate time and resources uh, accordingly. And it's a weird system, you know, where uh, so many Americans are, you know, distant spectators of this. And that would change. You know, I think you still would make judgments as to where the largest tranche of votes are going to be for you uh but you certainly wouldn't do what you do now which is basically to write off you know uh 80% of the states uh, as being either in your column or against you uh so it would profoundly change how we do campaigns there's a sophisticated philosophy behind the electoral college i think that we are now in a dangerous place though if In fact, we start electing presidents who are the recipients of fewer votes than their opponent election after election. I think that has a destructive effect on a democracy. But it's all a very kind of speculative uh, and almost irrelevant discussion because the Constitution is such that to change the system would be impossible. And so we're going to... uh, We're going to continue to work with the electoral college system for the future. This is the way it's going to be. So, Murphy, Mark asks, in your storied careers, which defeat was most memorable and what lessons did you
2: take from it? Well, David, we're out of time. I'll have to get to that one next week. No, no. (laughs) We can can spend an hour on this one. you, You learn a lot more on losing campaigns than you do on winning ones. And one that really taught me a lot was near the beginning, well, really, just about a couple of years into my career, 1986 in Georgia, incumbent Senator Mac Mattingly lost. Alex Castellanos and I were together doing campaigns. And we learned a lot about how, when you're an incumbent who's vulnerable, how you have to set and control the agenda early and not be defensive. And I think we made some errors in that campaign. Mac was a good guy. Uh, I would later show up six years later uh, to work against Paul Coverdale, who beat us and even the score. Uh, but boy, did I learn a lot on one of the first big statewides I ever worked on.
1: You know, I, the God's honest truth is that I have blocked out the memory of most of our, my defeats. The, <laughs> the, the, pain, the Well, pain I have a that. list here. I will. No. Well, you have one of them you have, I think, tattooed on your arm because you were the guy on the other side back in 94 when we worked against each other in the governor's race. In Iowa, you were doing Ter- Terry Branstad. I was oh, right. doing Bonnie Campbell. Yeah, He's but a you got even person. with me
2: earlier when we traded the Iowa Trophy back when you were doing Bill. Later, Sightly. later, yeah, yeah in, in, in,
1: in, in 2002. But, um, you know, one thing that strikes me, Mike, and I don't know if you had the same experience, some of the greatest ads I've ever done were in losing campaigns. And by the way, I did lose a governor's primary in Nebraska by 42 votes. Ooh. That was memorable. Uh, back in uh, in uh, 1990, I think it was. But some of the best camp ads I've done have yeah. been in losing campaigns because sometimes when you think you're losing, you end up throwing long and you do the most creative things, which is why candidates, if you're listening, if, can- if, if, uh, if uh, consultants come in and show you ads, ask them about the disposition of the race and whether they actually won the race because this isn't a... Uh, it's not, a th- it's not a contest, a theatrical contest. It's like, was it effective? Was yeah. your message effective?
2: We, we did a spot once in an attorney general race in a primary. And we were 40 points behind the incumbent. And our guy had never been in court before in his life. So we finally came up with less attorney, more general. <laughs> and we had him out like, you know, jogging, <laughs> firing machine guns. And we, we came within about four points. So it was one of the most effective ads we ever did, but we lost.
1: Amy, we're not going to have you answer, that, uh, answer <laughs> that question. But we do want to ask you a question that Gail writes in. She says, I realize that extremists are more exciting and newsworthy. However, I think the average person not only disagrees with the extreme views on both the left and the right, but also on the methods they use to advance their cause. What can we do to help make media and politicians aware of how out of step they are with the American people, when they insist on focusing on extreme points of view over more moderate ideas.
0: Gail is exactly right. There is a perverse In fact, you record. are Gail,
1: aren't you? I, I secretly am Gail, yes. <laughs>
0: what you need to do, Gail, is you need to uh, make sure to subscribe to the Cook Political Report and and subscribe for all of your friends. We don't focus <laughs> on just the extremes. My God, didn't we do enough? Uh, no, no. I'm going to put a little more in. It is the thing I talk about all the time. It's just a per, there is a perverse incentive structure right now in our media ecosystem, which is uh, some of it's always been there, right? If it bleeds, it leads. That's what local news, national news has been doing forever. But cable news upped that, not just that if it bleeds, it leads, but that we need to keep our audience just angry and outraged every minute so they won't turn the channel. And... So we will focus on even the slightest, smallest, most insignificant things to keep you from turning the channel and to thinking, to believing that if you turn the channel, America is going to be lost forever. So there are a couple of things to do. One is just to turn it off. <laughs> Don't engage with it. Don't watch these shows. Don't participate in this silliness. But Two, do listen I to your do-
1: podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. Listen to the podcasts <laughs> of,
0: of smart people like these. But also, look, I think more and more focus is on local news and trying to get local news bitter, a bigger foothold. Uh, it's going to look different. We're never going back to the days of Broca and Brinkley and, you know, you have your 6 p.m. news that everybody tunes into. But I do think the best thing about the democratization of our media is that you can change the the topic, you can change the channel, um, and 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 do it. And finally, at the end of the day, yes, many of these extreme folks do end up winning, but independent votes, folks who you said aren't interested in sort of putting on the extremist mantles, they still rule the day. They're, it's not as exciting, but you got to still win over those voters. Who aren't interested in the extremes and who just want to get something done?
1: Hallelujah! You say that there are perverse incentives in the media, but there's also perverse incentives in the political system Absolutely. itself. Absolutely. And you know, I mean, and we've we've sort of hinted at this. Uh, you know, most of the action, and now with this new redistricting, it's even more so. Most of the action is in party primaries, and it gives yeah. an outsized voice to the most uh, strident. Uh, and the most uh, uh, active uh, people in the party. And so, you know, part of the answer is back on you, Gail, and others, and that is to participate, you know. 100%. Participate in that process and, make you know, make your voices heard. I I agree with both of you. The
2: endangered species in politics is the swing congressional district. Which takes the marketplace of who you send to Congress away from most voters and leaves it with primary activists and special interests. It's a real problem. And I'd so agree with what Amy said about, you know, every story is the Hindenburg. Every single story. The smallest pro- candidate bumper sticker glue doesn't work. Ah, we have our focus group now. Um, I mean, it's just unbelievable how that accelerates trivia and can cloud out the real campaign debate. By the way, my solution is to require every uh tv pundit to live and work in either Des Moines or Cedar Rapids Iowa because getting out of the DC beltway or the Manhattan New York beltway is helpful because it can be a real echo chamber i've i've lived and worked as a worked as a consultant in both um well worked out in Nashville for a while worked in DC forever worked on the west coast and i was a better consultant when i was outside of DC, and finally, as far as turn off cable TV, I would agree, but my contract is up at NBC, so I suggest you stay glued to everything we do.
1: <laughs> we'll send this clip out, Mike. Anyway, <laughs> thank you, Amy. It's always a pleasure to be with you. We've we've Fantastic we've uh, to we've, we've hawked you enough, but you really are one of the smartest people out there. And every time you talk, every time I see you on TV or hear you on radio or podcasts. I find myself saying, damn, she's good. So it's great to have you. Thank you. Let me sing harmony on
2: that. Tell people to subscribe to the Cook Political Report (laughs) with Amy Walter. And I do all the pitching around here. Somebody's got to pay the light bill. And (laughs) finally, Amy, what's your Twitter feed? Because it's a good follow. Oh,
0: yes. It's at Amy E. Walter.
2: Amy, right. for Excellent Walter. Follow it. I do. <laughs> all right, gang. Thank you all He's so thank slick. You
1: for listening. Oh. Isn't he? Yes. Bye, guys. I'll be back, X. Uh, See you soon. Until next time.